what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. From the Doc Project, this is Caravan, Part 3. We are following the story of the legendary Canadian theatre experiment, Caravan, and Trevor Campbell, whose dream was to join them. This is the third and final installment, so if you missed episodes one and two, you'll want to hear those before you keep going. If that's the case, pause here, go back in your Doc Project podcast feed. The first episode is Caravan Part 1, The Bonnie and Clyde of Canadian Theatre. After that, you're looking for Caravan Part 2, Theater Pirates. Once you've heard those, come back and join us here for what happens next. I'm Macy Rowe, and this is Part 3, Homecoming. At the end of last episode... U.S. Homeland Security paid a surprise visit to the Amara Z. Paul and Nans hadn't secured Trevor a visa, and rather than risk being deported, Trevor fled caravan. Paul and Nans did not want him to go, and Trevor knows they weren't pleased when he left. It's been five years, and he hasn't really spoken to them since. And in that time, he also hasn't been able to let go of how badly it all ended. After talking to a dozen fellow former caravanners, Trevor has decided it's time. He's tracked down Paul and Nons and is finally going to face them. Right now is his best shot. The Amara Z is docked in Vancouver. And Trevor is going back to the ship. I ran away to the circus four times, but the second time was a little different. It was more of an extended visit, really. Paul and Anons were docked in Salerno, an Italian port just south of Naples on the Amalfi Coast. It was April. I'd been living in San Francisco and had just decided I couldn't afford to attend grad school in California. So, at a loss for what to do next, I checked in with Paul and Anons. After eight years in Europe, they were preparing their ship, the Amara Z, to sail back home. Actually, the ship isn't built for crossing an ocean, so it would be making the journey on board a much larger charter ship. Anyway, I asked them if they needed a hand getting things ready. And a few weeks later, I was stepping off the night bus outside of the Stadio Arecchi, a football stadium next to a private port where the Amara Z had been moored for the winter. Normally, the ship and the schedule are packed. I never really got a lot of time with Paul and Nons outside of work. But in Salerno, it was a skeleton crew. Robbie was back, the guy who'd come to collect me that first day in Licata, but not many others. So each day, Robbie and I got sent on various errands. We did the shopping at the supermarket and scrubbed the ship. But there was a fair amount of downtime as a group. 
We might play guitar and sing together or just talk. Every evening at 6 p.m. was Robin Hood time, Paul's affectionate name for the moment when we would raise a glass and celebrate the donations that had been secured that day. We had big dinners together, and Salerno was the first place I learned about Paul and Nanza's life in Montreal as they hauled out the original issues of Logos from boxes beneath that big kidney bean-shaped table, the one that was supposed to have been a water filtration system. I was only there for about three weeks, but this time in Salerno made me feel connected to Paul and Nans and the dream of Caravan in a new way. After Salerno, they were more than community. They felt like family. I keep thinking of those moments as I'm packing for Vancouver. I made up my mind while making this podcast that I had to go talk to Paul and Nans. Talk about the night that I ran away from my dream, and theirs. I need to look them, and that version of myself who thrived on the boat, in the eye, and ask, does one of us need to apologize? And most of all, am I still a caravaner? Am I still someone who is free and real and brave? Because, God, I want to be. Paula Nance had stopped responding to my emails the summer before, but I decided to just go for it. I'd already booked a flight to Vancouver when I emailed them to tell them I was going to be in town and ask if I could come and visit them on the ship. To my surprise, they respond almost immediately and say yes. I'm happy, but not entirely relieved. They still don't know exactly what I want to talk about, Maybe they don't even remember the circumstances of my departure. But best to save that for in person, I think. So I fly to Vancouver, where Paul and Nons are doing some renos on the MRZ. This is February 2020, before COVID had restricted travel. Paul and Nons have been here since 2017, and it's a homecoming. British Columbia is where Caravan Stage Company was born almost 50 years earlier. Before the Renos, they'd been touring the West Coast with their show Nomadic Tempest, a cautionary tale about climate change performed by aerialists dressed as monarch butterflies. But now the ship is out of the water, and in the process of getting a major overhaul. Almost every inch of its exterior is getting repaired or replaced. I learned something as I'm prepping for this trip that makes it all feel more like this is meant to be. They're replacing everything because they're getting ready to pass the Amara Z on to the next generation. The rumor is that Paul and Nans, now in their 70s, are preparing to move on to their next adventure. So this is probably my last chance to try to make things right. My friend Amira, another caravanner, had offered to let me crash on her couch in the east end of Vancouver the night before I went to the ship. Well, we met in 2015 when we were both working in production for Hacked, the something of the Empire, whatever that was called. I think it was the treasure of the Empire. (laughs) Amira was with me on that final tour in New York. 
We took a walk to get some dinner and started talking about my plan for the next day. Um, I I do feel a little bit nervous tomorrow. Sure. Yeah, for a few reasons. One, because it's the first time, and two, because I'm going there with this little guy. I'm talking about my audio recorder. <laughs> um, and they kind of famously, I think, don't love being archived or sort of chronicled in a way. Um, what? Any thoughts about my decision to go? How do you think it's going to go? I think that they're going to be surprised. This wasn't quite the answer I was hoping for. Couldn't she have just said, you have nothing to worry about? I think that they're going to be very happy to see you and reconcile whatever tension may have been left over. Um... They are very particular, I believe, about how they're represented. But at the same time, they're such creative, open people and full of love that I think it'll be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, I just... It's weird, because on the one hand, too, I want to... Should we cross? Can you hear me getting nervous? Amira presented me with a lot of complications. They'd be happy, but surprised. And they'd have a sense of humor about the whole thing, but they were also very particular about becoming characters in someone else's story. That night, on Amir's couch, I found myself wondering if I was making a big mistake. I'm a spontaneous person and I love change, but I'm historically bad at moving on. I do things to death. I over-explain things. I overthink things. I repeat experiences that I'm no longer enjoying because, well, maybe things will get better and nobody likes a quitter. But then I remember Camus. When I'd first met Paul eight years earlier, he recommended that I read Camus' work. Surely he'll have some good advice. And I find this. The need to be right is the sign of a vulgar mind. Touché, monsieur. Humbling, but fair. If I'm going to do this, I have to surrender my ego. Also, Camus, to know oneself, one should assert oneself. Well, that settles it. Besides, it's too late to turn back now. The next morning, I take a cab to Shelter Island Marina, about 20 minutes south of Vancouver and connected to the Fraser River by a small canal. The boatyard has a big chain-link fence in the makings of tight security, but the gate's unguarded. I walk in undisturbed. Just walking now through the shipyard, looking for the ship. There's like 20 or 30 tents. It could be anywhere here. This, some of them are completely covered up too. Oh, I see it. There's a sign outside that says Caravan Stage Company. I can't see the ship yet though. I see a familiar sign on the outside of a huge white tent with a door in front. I guess I'm gonna knock. No answer. So I open the door and go inside. It's the Amara Z, caravan ship, in a kind of steel cradle. Hello? This is wild. 
I walk up the stairs and climb inside the ship. It seems like no one's here. Hello? I stand in the chart house, afraid to descend the stairs into the main room. But I keep going. And then... Knock, knock. Hey! There they are. It's okay to come in? Okay. Hi. How you doing? Hey, Trevor. Long time no see. How are you? Good, and you? Good to see you. Good to see you. It's been a while. It has been a while. Five years, I think. Hi. Hi. Good to see you. You've been around the world, I bet. A couple times. A few times, actually. Yeah. Wow. It looks amazing. Five years have passed, but they look exactly the same. Same energies, same expressions, same shoes with the springs. The only thing that feels different is that there's no one else here. It's incredibly rare to be in the ship's main room without full commotion. We sit down in the exact spot where we'd had that final conversation five years earlier. I'd stopped recording because I wanted to ask for formal permission before we start talking on tape. I figure after we have a bit of a chat, there'll be an opportunity to come back around to the reason I was here. You know, my big reconciliation. But it doesn't happen. We get chatting about the ship renovations as if the last time I'd seen them we'd said goodbye with a big hug instead of how it actually left. A blitz of Homeland Security agents in that early morning train. I realize that if I want this to happen, I'm going to have to be assertive, just like Camus had advised. So, at the next break in the conversation, I ask, do you mind if I turn on my recorder? There's a pregnant pause. And then Paul, in a playfully suspicious tone, replies, so, what's all this for again? And we tumble back into another conversation. I summarize what we've talked about over email, why I'm here, and why I've brought a microphone onto the ship. But then they slide into another topic, and then another, and soon, time's up. Paul and Nons have to head to Vancouver for something, and I have to go. Well, I tried, I think to myself. Maybe it's better this way, not digging up the past. Maybe one more meeting was enough to know that, while things won't ever be the same, our last conversation wasn't such a mess. This time, I have the chance to say a proper goodbye. But as we hug, Paul says, We're going to talk tonight. Call us in the morning and maybe you can come back and record tomorrow. If I didn't know any better, it almost seems planned. Like they're making me sweat it out. All at once, I feel both better and worse. And for one more night, I remain in limbo. AC here. Coming up after the break, Trevor gets his answer. From CBC Podcasts and The Fifth Estate, Brainwashed is a multi-part investigation into the CIA's experiments in mind control. From the Cold War and MKUltra to the so-called War on Terror, 
we learn about a psychiatrist who used his patients as human guinea pigs and what happens when the military and medicine collide. Listen to Brainwashed on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. I call in the morning and am given the green light for another visit. We can talk on tape, but they're busy during the day, and so I'm told to come back around dusk. I arrive back at the marina as the winter sun is disappearing behind the trees. I find Paul and Nons in their shipping container office, still working. They greet me with a casual hello. They're busy getting some grant applications ready for their upcoming tour, and I wait almost an hour before they're ready to talk. Finally, it's time. We put three chairs into a little semicircle, like we're gathering around a campfire, and then I press record. All right, we're going. Uh, so, could you tell me who you are? I'm Nans Kelder. I'm the co-founder and producer of the Caravan Stage Company. And I'm Paul Kirby, and I'm the lover of Adriana. Nons Kelder. <laughs> no, I'm uh, co-founder with her and director and writer. And captain. And captain. What do you look for in a caravaner? We look for someone who first can is a, is a people person, can get along with others, and who who's an adventurer, who sees... Uh, and who can improvise, someone who can adjust. <laughs> These are, um, and, uh, and someone who have, people who have sense of humor. I think for that, for those reasons, that's what I see. Why is a sense of humor important? Oh, it's very important. Again, how can you go through all the trials and tribulations that befall doing theater out of a box, you have to have a sense of humor because there's always obstacles that you have to overcome. And if you take them uh, with gritting your teeth, then you, you won't survive. Anything to add? Well, you know, there's a sort of spirit that, that joining the caravan and embracing what the, the ethos of the caravan and the and the the shows, I mean, the shows are provocative and contentious in so many ways, and um, that's our cause celeb, that's our raison d'etre. You know, we really believe in provoking. I mean, that's our mission in terms of doing a theater. It's not to entertain, it's really to provoke, and in one sense to educate, but to use the provocative nature of the shows. And so in order to be part of a troupe that does that, you have to be prepared for a lack of applause sometimes. And that's a difficult thing to embrace for a performer. And it's a difficult thing for anybody in a theater company to, to realize that you might be kicked out of town. When, when I first came to you, I was, I'd never even been camping before. And so, uh, it, that, which is what I wanted. I really wanted to, like... I think in part of my mind, I wanted like a boot camp kind of thing. Like, like, oh, it's so hot and there's so many mosquitoes and I'm so tired. Those those are some of my fondest memories, too. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like that for you when you look back at some of the challenges? 
Well, yeah, usually the hardest times are the, f are the fondest times because you overcame your, your, your hardships. And, and so that's, that makes you feel good, right? When it's everything is flush, it's not very exciting. And I think Paul's the same way. Well, you know, it's, it's when, you, when we think back about the tours that really excited us and that were really, in a sense, very powerful experiences, it's all those tours where everything was up in the air. We didn't know where we were going to perform the next week, and the weather was really horrid, or we were running into storm after storm, or we had all kinds of people unhappy and scared and running away and various other crazy things happening, you know. Um, but it's those tours that are the most memorable tours and they make awfully good stories. Yeah, but also I've found we found that the harder the people worked, the happier they were. My last tour was in New York. Um, we started in Red Hook and we went up the Hudson and then uh, what we, we got to Hudson and we had a little incident with some folks who came on the ship. I was up in the crow's nest doing some rigging when it happened and I remember looking down and seeing these three little kind of ant people walk on and they were all wearing the same clothes. So I got the impression maybe they were uniforms, maybe some kind of police officers or something. Um, and that kind of like was the first domino in me leaving very quickly after. What do you remember about uh, sort of that quick expanse of time well it wasn't great time um, <laughs> those uh, those customs people or came on patrol. the border patrol asked a few questions and I said nope no problem here officer everything's fine nothing to worry about they believed me and they left but there was other issues that were in, at play and it was mainly had to do with Transport Canada. We were no longer a pleasure ship, we were a commercial ship, and we had to behave accordingly, and they were going to stop us when we got to the border. That whole thing, Homeland Security coming on the ship? In 2012, Paul and Nans were told the Amarazis classification as a pleasure ship had been revoked by the Canadian government. They couldn't come back to Canada unless they were classified as a commercial vessel, with all the fees and regulations that came with it. They knew they couldn't afford the reclassification, so they stayed in the U.S. and registered themselves as an American vessel. That whole situation, that's why they'd been targeted by Homeland Security. And we got word of that, so we had to uh, adjust accordingly. Yeah. By not, by not going to Canada. A slight change of plans, right? Yes. You went back south, yeah. So I made the decision basically very quickly to leave because I got spooked, basically. I was scared I was going to get deported. My dad's a U.S. citizen, so I was like, even if there's a 5%, 2% chance I can't go back to the U.S. for 5 or 10 years, I was really scared about that reality. But I was very consciously aware of, uh, I felt like I was really breaking a bond with both of you, especially having been with you on and off for about three and a half years by that point. Um, and I remember leaving and just thinking like, it just felt so, so tangible, so severed. Um, how did you feel about it at the time? Is that the way you viewed it? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> 
we didn't like it. No, of course not. You you ran away, so we felt uh, we felt we had been abandoned by you. So that's basically how we but felt. You know, and, um, it was we we had to scramble right away. So it was like we sort of you know um, once you you know once you disappeared, it, we had to we had to leave you behind because we had to scramble to get the show up. Their words sting, but more than anything, I feel relieved. Because finally, I know what they think and how they feel. For a moment, I think of stopping them to explain my reasons for leaving again. But that whole mess with the visas, I realized it doesn't matter. We don't need to agree. They were upset, but we're here. We're talking. You know, that's the way things happen, is that there is a world that is caravan world, and it's, it's a world unto itself, and it doesn't really, in a sense, that world doesn't, it bumps up against the established world, and it actually does more than bump up, you know, and it... Actually, sometimes it crashes into that other world and it shakes the, both of us up, both our world and that world. And that's good. And that is good. And, you know, the end result is always something that is good. And, um, and it's growth, which is really... And it's uh, self-awareness, which is really... I think that, that incident precipitated that in you and it also pushed us on levels that we knew that, that were different and completely, you know, we were in a pickle that we hadn't been in before. Despite the hard days, or maybe because of the hard days, like you said, it makes a good story. And also, uh, maybe maybe nothing should have been changed. Maybe the, everything is just exactly as it, you know, it was. It could have been. It couldn't have been any other way. It's just the story that was. Well, you know... I think one of the most beautiful things about the caravan that I always remember is the fact that it um, it changes people. And that's, in essence, what we're all about, is change and changing people. But it's really, that is what's inspiring for us and what keeps us going, is that we witness so much change. And in a larger sense... Uh, witnessing the current level of change in society, it d- makes us want to really dig in and keep working and try to, you know, m- and make our pieces as strong as we can and sort of spread that spirit of revolt as much as we can because it's so direly needed right now. It's so important. And that's what keeps us going. And that's what will keep us going until we sail off the edge of the horizon. I think it's the interesting sort of duality. Yeah, you change people through the theater. You do, of course, through the presentations. But the hundreds and thousands of people who have come through your company have all been changed, too. And I've been able to talk to some of them and some I have as friends. And and really everyone talks about the change. So even though it was a long time ago and maybe it's hard to remember me, do you do you think I've changed? Is there any anything you notice about the person... Uh, talking to you now versus the one from a Luna Theater nine years ago. (laughs) 
Yes, I've seen it. There's definitely a change. There's a, there's a maturity, and you have, you're brave. You're a brave guy, Trevor. So, I, I salute you. Thank you. And you have uh, a greater sparkle in your eyes than you had before, and that's really wonderful. Thank you. You're, you're, you contributed to that. So, really, with no lip service, with full honesty, thank you. Thank you. I'd imagined this conversation so many times, and I thought that, if I ever got the chance, there were so many things I'd want to say. But when the time came, I found that I didn't care who was right and who was wrong, whatever that even meant. I just wanted to hear the truth. And it turns out, we agreed about the facts. I hadn't had a visa, I hadn't been willing to risk getting deported, and so I chose to run. None of us were arguing that. What divided us was where we ultimately drew the line, between the chances we were willing to take and the chances we weren't. In the end, I'd done what I thought was right, and that's something I can live with. And that person I'd been, I hadn't left him on caravan. Even if I'd stayed on the ship, he'd be gone. Because just like Paul Anand's caravan and the whole world around us, I changed. And I was free to change again. How could I ask for more than that? Caravan confirmed that magic can happen. Caravan confirmed that there is a world that I believe that I believe in. Like caravan exists and caravan has been going on for so many years and throughout all the difficulties that it has it manages to get through it has that strength and that comes from Paul's and Nans. they are such an inspiration it kind of confirmed to me that I have a place in this world I I look back at that uh, as uh, a very sh- life-changing experience the normal uh, normal stress that you experience in day-to-day life just dropped away and it created space for this creativity, this really pure natural creativity that um, uh, was able to push its way to the surface and just be there. And uh, I really, I mean, I, I've, I mean, I always try to aim to, to find that every day. I've been around the world a few times since I left Caravan, spent years in Japan, had many more adventures at sea, and now have a career in Toronto, which I love. Life feels good. Because I realize that I'll always carry that secret weapon that Caravan gave to me. The knowledge of what it really means to live freely. You have no clue what you're capable of doing. And... And that's like, and that's it. It's get over yourself. You're limiting yourself. And that was the thing from the caravan that you bring. You bring back to your, like, to your communities, this idea of like limitless potential.
all these years, I felt like I needed to reconcile my past. I felt shame about what I'd done, but I also felt shame about not being able to let it go. And all along the way, this voice in my head kept saying, move on. It felt like a judgment. But after talking to Paul and Nans, I know that I missed the point. Nans put it best herself. Movement is change. It's freedom. So that little voice saying, move on, I think it's really saying, there's more. There's so much more. If you stop, life stops. So stay brave and move on. Trevor Campbell. Caravan was produced by Julia Poggle and Trevor Campbell. It was edited by me, A.C. Rowe. Our digital producers are Althea Manassin, Jeff Isaac, and Jonathan Orr. Our senior producer is Jennifer Warren, and our executive producer is Joan Melanson. Special thanks to the rest of the team at The Doc Project, Allison Cook, Tanera McLean, and Kevin Ball. And to everyone who spoke to us for this podcast, past caravanners, our pool of cultural experts and historians from across the country, and of course, Paul Kirby and Adriana Nons Kelder, without whom the world would be a little less magical. Paul and Nons are still in Canada. And if you're in the area, you can see their newly retrofitted Amara Z along the coast of BC. Their plan is to start rehearsal for their next show, Virtual Rogues, in the spring. Safe COVID protocols, of course. For photos of the Amara Z, the tall ship that sparked Trevor's journey, head to our website, cbc.ca slash docproject. There you can also find a link to the Caravan Stage Company. Oh, and Paul and Nanz's next adventure that Trevor referred to... Well, the hope is that someday soon, they will be handing over the Amara Z and heading off to start a shadow puppet show, maybe in Europe, on a smaller boat, with a few friends. As Paul says himself, these two don't have an off switch. Before you go, if you enjoyed Caravan, please take a moment to rate and review us on the Doc Project podcast feed, and... Share us with a friend. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.